The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. us today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the consistency of your voice. Even when I don't want to hear you, you speak. (laughs) God, you're always talking. So Lord, today I just ask that we would be sensitive to your voice. God, that that you would touch our hearts, that it would impact our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we have been in a study of faith and love. It's a pretty, pretty foundational aspect of who we are as Christians, right? We get to church, we call it faith and love. We throw out these two words so freely um, because, you know, we're in church and they're church words, right? Uh, so I want to remind us of, of kind of where this whole thing came from is Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the reference on, on the screen there behind me, is that... Paul's addressing some religiousness, right? And by religiousness, I mean our efforts to try to make God happy and earn God's love. And he says, listen, none of that even matters. In Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is grace or is is faith expressing itself in love. Listen, here's here's something that I'll just tell you what, that I just really love. I am so grateful. We are a blessed people, aren't we? Aren't you glad that we live on this side of the cross? Right? right. So much in the New Testament talks about, hey, we're no longer under law, but now we are under grace. That's, is that good news to anybody else? Right? Like the law had, had yeah, the, the law is, is heavy. <laughs> grace is freeing. But here's, here's something. We love celebrating that, but have, have, have you considered the fact this? Like we look at like because of Jesus, once we were under the law prior to Jesus, now we're under grace. That sounds wonderful. Have you ever considered this? That yes, God, God, our expression and relationship with him changed, pivoted on that uh, uh, point. Have you ever considered this though? The heart of God has been consistent through the Old Testament and the New Testament all the way through, right? The heart of God hasn't changed. The heart of God has been the same. The heart of God has been love, Right? Like, wait, 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 but it was like law and hard and, and harsh before. Yeah, but it was still love, right? And moving from under the old covenant to under the new covenant because of what Jesus did is kind of like growing up in your parents' house, right? As a child, as a child, you know mom and dad love you, or whether you know it or not, right? You know, like we now know mom and dad loved us, but they had rules, right? The, the, those rules did what for us? They, they basically taught us how to be in right relationship with mom and dad and how to be in right relationship with our brothers and sisters, right? That's what, those, that's what those rules did for us. But then when we moved out of the house, we moved under a season, into a season of grace. We're still supposed to honor mom and dad. In fact, it's in the Ten Commandments. It's an important one, right? But, we're, but, but the basic rule is no longer obedience. It's honor. There's a difference, right? It goes from the law that controls to the grace that, that enhances that relationship. Anybody have that experience with either like a child or, or as a kid with your parents? You grew up and you moved out and all of a sudden your relationship with your parents changed and it went from like you're over me and telling me what to do to like we're like friends almost now, right? Like it's, it's kind of a cool experience. That's what happened between 
being under the old covenant and being under the new covenant. That's what happened before Jesus to what happened under Jesus. But listen, as a parent, you know this, whether they're living in your house or they're out on their own with more freedom, your love is consistent. This is God. This is the picture of God, right? Because Jesus said this, what are the greatest commandments? Love God. You, you can tell me about it. What's the second one? Love people, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love uh, love your neighbor as yourself. It is the two greatest commandments. Listen, Jesus said that when there was no New Testament. Jesus said that before the cross and the resurrection. Jesus said all of the Old Testament hangs in. This is the heart of God all the way through. That, 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 that his love for us and that we would show that love for others. So this is what's interesting. So Jesus is sitting down with his, with his 12 right before he goes to the cross. The Last Supper, we call it. Everybody's sitting on the same side of the table, you know, right? Um, and, and, and we're all there, and they're all there, and he says this, I've got a new command for you. Love one another. That seems like a weird new command, doesn't it? The same Jesus who said, the same Jesus who said the greatest command that the, on all of the scriptures is love God and love people, just gave a new command of love people. Does that, like, compute? I believe it's not in necessarily that first statement, but his clarification of what love is that made it something altogether new. You see, originally he said, in, in the law, this is what it is. Love the Lord your God with everything you got, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people like you love yourself. Let me tell you what, I love myself a lot. In fact, like, I'm the only one that I fed this morning. <laughs> I'm the only one who set an alarm for myself this morning at the expense of my wife, because mine went off earlier and she had to try to sleep through it. I'm the only one I clothed this morning. Now, my wife can't say that actually about any of those things, because she clothed and fed a whole bunch of people. But for me, I'm selfish. I love me, and so I take care of me. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new command. And he said, I want you to love other people like that. That's hard, isn't it? But Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up the ante even a little bit more. I'm, I'm going to take it to the next degree. I, I'm not going to tell you to love other people, love the person you're sitting next to the same way you love yourself. I'm going to go even one step further. He says, love one another. This is a new, brand new command, brand new. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know what happened right before this? That was rhetorical, but I'm going to ask it like for real. Does anybody know what happened right before this? Anybody know? Anybody know what happened? Like right before it, beginning of the chapter. There it is. He gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. All 11 who would go on to change the world and the one who a few hours later would get up and betray him with a kiss. He says, I want, this is, this is new, guys. This is new. This is not love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is new. This, this is love the person, the people around you, like I'm loving you right now. I'm not calling you to wash your, your, your friend's feet. I'm calling you to wash your enemy's feet. And what they did not know is that just a few hours later, he would be handing himself over to be executed on their behalf. You know what's interesting is, is John 3.16 that says, for God so loved 
Somebody help me. The world. Does everyone in the world accept the love of, and the grace and the truth of our God? No. Guess what? He died for Judas. And he died for the Judases in your life. You know, some of us, when we're feeling really proud, when we're feeling really bold, when we're feeling really good, when our faith is feeling strong, like, yeah, I'd take a bullet from my brother. Would you take a bullet for your enemy? This is a new command, guys. This is, this is a new command. To love your neighbor, the ones who are with you and the ones who are against you, in the same capacity that for God so loved the world that he laid himself down. You see, we like to talk about that love is an action, and it absolutely is, but when we, when we opened up 1 Corinthians 13 last week, we, we realized, we read those characteristics, and love is not just an, accent, uh, or an action, though it is. Love is a way of being. See, John says that God is love. We're supposed to be followers of Christ. We're supposed to be, be, be uh, examples of the, the nature and character of Christ. We don't just, we're not just called to go do loving things. We're called to be love, selfless, uh, laying it all on the line. Jesus put it this way, or, or sorry, Paul put it this way in Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who poured himself out, who made himself nothing. Okay, now I want to come back to this whole under law, under grace thing. When we say under, that, 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 when we phrase it that way, under law or under grace, that sounds really exciting, right? Are we under all the rules or are we under freedom? That sounds great. But what if we rephrased it and we're under law and under love? Because that's, that's what the new covenant is all about, isn't it? Right? It was, just, it was just a few moments after this where Jesus said, a new covenant I'm making with you right now. Right? As he, as he broke the bread and he, and he took a, a drink of the cup. He was saying, this is the new covenant. It starts right now, right here, right now. The old things are gone. New things are come. And let me tell you, what comes with this new covenant is this new command to love. And so, so often we want to say, hey, we're all, we're, we used to be under law. Now we're under grace. What if we reframed this a little bit and said, like, not not trying to run far from the text, trying to stick as close to it as I can. We're not under law, but we're under love. You know what that leaves me thinking? <laughs> can I get back into the law? <laughs> can, I just, can I just do what I'm told? Can I just obey the rules? Now, don't get me wrong. Grace is amazing. I'm not trying to put, put law, I'm not trying to put heaviness on the new covenant. There's freedom in it. But listen, we just sang about a good, good father. We just declared praises saying, that's the, the, I know who I am is who you've said that I am. All things new. I'm set free. I'm not under the law. I'm, I'm his. I'm loved. Man, like we are... Like we, we sing these songs that, that, that talk about our identity in Christ and talk about how dearly loved we are and talk about how much grace we've received. And this is what he says. Now live like me. Pour yourself out for everybody. I'd like to just stay in the fact that I'm loved. 
But he says, this is how you show it. So he says, new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, Jesus, like in the middle of his new command, he gave a new evangelistic strategy, right? You know, we're talking about step up to life and, and, and finding ways to, to share, share the gospel, share faith with people, move people in their spiritual journey towards Jesus, all that stuff. And there's great things that we can learn and grow in. But here was Jesus' strategy. If you love, not the world. See, there's a lot of talk in the church about loving God and then loving those outside the church. Right? It's amazing how much you hear that idea. Love God and then love people outside the church. Love, love people with, to, to the Lord, and, and we should do all that. But what do we see in Scripture, both in Acts, but then also here in Jesus says? He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is Jesus' evangelistic strategy. Love one another to the degree that those on the outside Look at your relationships and go, I want that. What if, oh, we'll just move on to that. Now, here's the thing, though. But you look at this and I'm like, what, but, but people outside the church can love, can't they? Love is not reserved for the church. Love is not reserved for followers of Jesus. Love is not reserved for God. Other people can. So how would people be able to tell the difference? And, and I would argue this, is that what we often call love is really the, the, the world's culture, the world's way of thinking, their love creeping into our biblical love. And it does it in really, really subtle ways that we often miss. And so we started looking through this last week at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let me just give you a quick recap where we went. Uh, let, me, let me take a moment here for those of you who, uh, who may have missed last week or maybe missed some of the, the messages uh, in this Faith and Love series over the last few weeks. Our amazing AV team, here's just a quick sh- shout out. Our, our AV team, particularly Cody David's on, the, on this front, uh, just helped us out so that if you want to go back and listen to one of the messages, like you can always go to YouTube and check out the whole service. If you want to just get the messages and just the audio, you can go to like your favorite podcast, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Apple, and a whole bunch of ones I've never heard of because I'm not cool enough. Um, go check them out. You can get just the, the message on there. Um, back to the series. So anyway, check that out. But here's where we were last week. We, we contrasted 1 Corinthians 13 and the attributes of 1 Corinthians 13 with how the world loves. And it's very, very different. See, I said real love up there on the screen behind me. Real love. I would say God's love versus the world's love, but then we get all spiritual things. Listen, God's love is the real thing, right? I, I could talk about like agape versus fuego, right? All the different. Listen, let's, we don't need Greek to know like we want something real, right? We're done playing games. I don't want to love like the world. I want to see what God's heart for me is. Like, if this love thing is like the central foundation of how I live out my Christian life, I don't want any fakes. I don't want any substitutes. I don't care if it's not comfortable. I want to know what God thinks, right? So let's get there. Real love is this. It's patient. The world's love is now. Right? We even do this in a Christian circle. We talked about this last week. Right? Like every, every, where I'm at in my journey right now, if you're not there yet, then you're a miserable failure and you need to repent. 
Real love is patient. The world's love is now. The real love is kind. The world's love is right. The world's love says that if, if you're right, you don't have to be kind. Real love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. But the world's love is competitive. The world's love is always keeping score. The world's love fills up with pride when I feel like I'm ahead. The world's love is envious when I feel like you owe me or you've got it better than me. The world's love dishonors people as a way of making my, myself feel like I'm ahead. And the, the, bottom, the bottom line is that the, the real love is not self-seeking. The world's love looks for return. Real love is not self-seeking. The world's love is always looking for a return. I think this right here could be the only definition that is needed in this entire 1 Corinthians 13, but the rest of it is just clarification for this one thing. The world's love is always looking for a return. Real love is not self-seeking. We talked about our investments, right? Love is an investment versus love is a deposit. Right, you always want a good ROI. You always want a good return on your investment. Meaning, I want to give this much and get back this much. Friends, that is not love. You might be investing some good, but it's not love. Love is a gift that is always given. Love is not an asset that is invested. So, let's explore this a little bit further. <clears throat> So I'm going to start again with this, from where we're, we're going today, I'm going to start back at this not self-seeking. God, real love is not self-seeking, but the world's love looks for a term. Because everything beyond this right here could be, could be brought back to this one attribute of love. So let's move on to the next one. Love is not easily angered. The world's love justifies anger. See, this is kind of like the kind thing, right? If I'm right, then I don't have to be kind. Anger does the same thing, right? If I'm right, then my anger is justified, right? If I'm right, then my anger is justified. Paul's like, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. Love does not get easily angered. See, see, I think this is interesting. We love to talk about Paul. You know, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. And we're like, bam, there it is. There is my loophole. Paul said it. You can be angry and not sin. Ooh. Okay, Jesus did it. Can you give me another example? Because <laughs> that's way harder than you think it is. See, in the same paragraph of Scripture, I just, want, just so we know, like everybody loves to go there. Like, like any, if you've got an anger issue, you've probably heard this verse and then clung, and it's your life verse. In your anger, do not sin. I know I'm super angry all the time, but I'm going to try not to sin. Right? If I just don't, what is sin? As long as I don't punch in the face whoever's in front of me, glory to God. The same paragraph of Scripture that we love to quote to justify our anger also says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So Paul is saying, listen, I understand that there's an emotional response that happens at times, and you're going to get angry, and that's normal. When that happens, listen, though, if you hang on to that past bedtime, you're now in sin. See, there's some of us who've, who, who've, who've wrestled with anger every single day of your life, and, and you're like, well, it, you know, Jesus got angry. And you're angry. I'm not going to sin. I'm just going to be angry all the time. No, friends, this is outside of God's will for your life. Just plain and simple. 
You've moved from an emotional response to your situations to carrying that anger and sin. That same paragraph also says, get rid of all anger. Like, just that simple. Love is not easily angered. The world's love justifies anger. If I'm, if I'm right, then my anger is justified. And we love this one. Jesus got angry. Okay? Right? Didn't he? He did. Some of you are like, is this a trick question? No, he did. You're right. You're right. Jesus did get angry. So let's look at that. Let's explore that for just one moment. Jesus got angry. But he didn't get angry at his disobedient children. He didn't get angry at his, the unmet expectations that he had of his friends or his spouse. He did not get angry when his boss promised one thing and he got something else. No, he got angry at self-righteousness. That's why I flipped the tables. He was angry at self-righteousness. He got angry at self-righteousness, so he called the, the Pharisees, you brood of vipers and you whitewashed tombs and all that stuff. He was angry at self-righteousness. So, so, so bear with me for just one moment. We want to we claim righteous indignation. We want to claim righteous anger. And we want to point to Jesus, right? Because if I'm right in my own thinking, then my anger is justified. We might say it this way. If I'm right in my own way of thinking, then my, my anger becomes righteous in my own perspective which is pretty much the definition of self-righteousness. So now, so now I'm going to point to Jesus' anger as a justification of my self-righteousness, which is only bringing an indictment on my own self. I'm right in my own eyes. I'm justified in my own eyes. Look, Jesus got angry too. He got angry at self-righteousness. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, there's no room for this. It is not easily angered. See, why, how, why do we get easily angered? We get easily, easily angered because our expectations aren't met. We get easily angered because people do, don't do what they say. We get easily angered because something doesn't work well for me. Not self-seeking. Remember that part? Oh, shoot. Comes back to that again. I'm looking for a return. I'm trying to love people, but then you don't reciprocate that love. I'm trying to love you, but you're not receiving the teaching I'm giving. I'm trying to love you, but now you're doing something that hurts me, or you're doing something that makes me vulnerable, so I get easily angered because I'm protecting me. He says, listen, there's a love that's so rich, that's so real, that's so true, that it does not get easily angered. And then tied really close to that is keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but the world's love always keeps a backup file. Right, right? doesn't it? The world's love always keeps a, a, a backup file. There's a difference between moving past something and forgiving something. See, we, we want to move past something. But that file is just like, whoop, an arm's reach away. That's an old school way to do files. Our file is just one click away. <laughs> it's even easier than ever before. I can pull it up. It's like touch screen, pull it up fast, right? 
And so one of, the, one of the reasons, like this one ties so closely, I think there's a reason that Paul said both of these together is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong. Because if we keep record of wrong, guess what is inevitably going to happen is we're going to become easily angered. Because I can, I can move, you wronged me, and I'm just like, Arr! all right, don't be easily angered, don't be easily angered, don't let the sun go down or anger, okay? I'm going to shove it way down deep, and whew, I'm going to pretend that that never happened. Pretending something never happened is not forgiveness. It's pretending something never happened. Because the moment they do it again, you'll remember. <laughs> the only way that love can keep no record of wrong is if love learns how to forgive. That means letting someone, that's not the right phrase. Forgiveness is a rich, deep well. It's not even just letting somebody off the hook. It's giving the entire offense over to God and let him handle it. God wants to punish it, he can punish it. He wants to forgive it and, 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 look, and, 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 and let him go with no consequences. He can do that. I'm not the judge. So you've hurt me. Okay. Kind of like I've hurt God. But I'm not going to hold it against you. Kind of like he doesn't hold it against me. Because it was forgiven at the cross so that I could go free, so that I could leave your offense at the cross, so that we can both go free. <laughs> Love doesn't keep records of wrongs. They don't bury them. They just, they just hand it to Jesus. Jesus, I can't handle it. Like, this, this wrong hurt me. And there's nothing wrong with it hurting. That's normal. When someone hurts you, it should hurt. That's what they call it a hurt. <laughs> Somebody wrongs you, it can sting. What we do is we got to say, God, I, 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 don't, I've, I don't have enough files. I want to uh, I, I keep things clean. God, I just, like, you do whatever you need to. Call them to, call them to account, fine. Wash it all away, fine. But I can't care that anymore. One of the reasons, one of the big reasons that we struggle with the whole love is not easily angered thing is because we got a deep file cabinet. Here's something that, uh, so Beth and I and, and, and Gary and Randy were at a, a conference this week, and there was one session that was on, actually it was really on marriage, but there's a principle that was introduced that I never like, grasped before, and it's so bigger than just marriage, though it fits in marriage well. It says, or, or, uh, a couple is brought together because of compatibility, right? whether it's opposites attract or you're just like me or whatever, the compatibility, there's certain things that are compatible. But compatibility only goes so far. Compatibility is not the test of love. Capacity is the test of love. See, compatibility means we get along. Compatibility means we enjoy each other. Compatibility means the good times are great. But what they talked about is the fact that our love is never really tested. Our love is never really seen. The depth of love is still unknown until we find out what our capacity is for that other person. That's what I mean. Like, I, I want to love the best version of you. That's usually where, that's usually where you start. I'm going to love everybody like Jesus loved. But in the back of my head, I'm still thinking, I'm going to love the best version of you. Our capacity for love is tested when we find out if we can love the real you. Not the Sunday morning you. The midweek crash you. 
the you that failed me again, the you that broke my promise, the you that can't live up to my standards, the alcoholic you, the untrustworthy you, the broken you. Compatibility is fun. Capacity is where love is found. How big of capacity do you have for the people that you are called to love in your life? Are you loving a, a perfect idea of that? And then as soon as that bubble is burst, love is gone. Or am I saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to love you. And guess what? The longer you know someone and the closer you get, the bigger your capacity has to get. Because guess what? We're all a mess. And if you want to love me, let me just tell you, if you want to love me, you better have a big capacity because I will for sure let you down. We see this with Christ. We see this with God. He loved us when we were so unlovely and he didn't blink. See, love is, is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It, it keeps no record of wrongs, but rather as it's wronged, its capacity continues to grow. It, it go on to the next one. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now we're going to get to a, a series of, of definitions of love that are, are kind of curious because they're, they're, they're all started with this word always or never. I, I, I make it like when my, my girls throw out that word, you always, you never. Never say never or always. Shoot. You should almost always never say never or always. <laughs> but when scripture says always, we should pay attention, shouldn't we? The next one is this, always trusts. Wait, what? Like this doesn't even make any sense. Does it? Always trusts? See, here's the problem, is our understanding of trust is a little bit broken. Here's the problem, is, is that the world's expectations for and reasoning for trust don't fit God. So let's, let's talk about this. Here's one of, the, one of the reasons why trust is really difficult is because we want to trust, right? The world's love always questions, always questions, always questions. Even, even in a close relationship, right? That close, even in that marriage relationship, my marriage is great. Yeah, we're doing great. But when she did that, I was like thinking for sure she had the worst motives and wanted me dead. Isn't it amazing how quick you go there? My best friend stands by my side all the time. Man, we are brothers. Until he made that Facebook post, and I'm like, wait, what? I don't trust him ever again. So let me ask you this. What is our trust based on? I think it's easier to see with God. So let's go to, with God first. Usually it's the other way around, but this time I think it's easier to see with God. You see, when, when it comes to, to trusting God, we know this. We've heard this taught. Like we, I hope we understand this. That we, when it comes to God, when we trust him, when we're trusting God, are we trusting that he's going to do everything that we want? Are we? No. We're not trusting he's going to do everything we want. Uh, when we trust God, are we going to trust that we're never going to face problems? No. When we trust God, are we going to trust that everything is going to work out just fine? No. What we're trusting is we're trusting the heart of God. Right? We're trusting 
God. We're not trusting, we're, we're not putting our trust in the, the circumstances around. I'm not putting the, our trust in the things that he does. We trust that regardless of what he does, he has a good heart for me. Right? All things work together for the good of those who love him. Part of that loving him is trusting him. I want to trust that he's got my good and his glory in mind all the time. Okay? Could it be that, well, love is love, and so if we're called to love our friends, love our neighbors, love our church folks, love our family members, love, you get it. That trust is the same part of the equation. You so often, I want to trust you, but then if you say something, that challenges my political perspective, I don't trust you anymore. What were you trusting in the first place? If, if, if I trust you, but you do something inevitably that hurts me because you're broken just like me, then I can't trust you anymore. And so this is what happens. This is what happens. Now, now, now here, here, here. So, I know there's some people already going here. They're already going here, right? Listen. If, if one day um, my car's broken into, and then the next day you come into me and you're like, hey, uh, Pastor Sean, I, I, got, I, I asked for forgiveness. I, I broke into your car and I stole uh, your Frisbees. I don't know what else is in there. That would be a big one if you know me, right? Here you go. I'm sorry. You know what I would do? If I was loving, I'd say, I forgive you. And then the next week, we're like, hey, uh, Pastor Sean, I broke into your office and I stole the money in your drawer and I spent it and I don't have it. You know what I would do if I was loving? I'd say, I forgive you. you don't worry about paying me back. And then I go out of town for a week and then, then I get back like, hey, Pastor Sean, I'm really, sorry. I'm really sorry. While you were gone, I broke into your house and I stole your TV and I sold it to the pawn shop and it's already gone and you can't get it back. I'm really sorry. You know, if I was acting in love, I'd say, I forgive you. And then if I was going out of town again, and they're like, hey, can I house it for you? I'd say, no. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. Love, God's love, starts with their walls down, but walks in wisdom. Okay. The world's love starts with its walls up and usually never lets them down at all. See, it's okay to go like, well, you, I, I gave you trust to start with, but you've proven yourself not trustworthy. See, kind of like we talked about this last week, kind of like this idea that you've got to earn my respect is such an unbiblical perspective. God says, love honors, and we lead with honor. The same thing goes with trusts. Now, I, and I know, I, I know, okay, I know this is really scary. To lead with trust, you don't even know if somebody's trustworthy. That's why they call it love. But you don't understand. See, what happens is I get, I've got robbed by this guy, and then he robbed me again, and then he robbed me again, and then he robbed me again, so I can't trust this guy. Friends, that's like, that, like you got to work through that. Because what you just did is whoosh, put those walls up. You can't love with walls up. Think of somebody who, who really personifies love. I'm going to bet this. Almost everything I had, they didn't live life with their walls up. Wisdom? Yeah, sure. Discernment? 
Absolutely. Once those walls go up, it not only insulates you and protects you from getting hurt, but it, it, it insulates you and allows you to not be able to love others. This is God's love. It's countercultural. It doesn't make sense. It puts you on the hook in every relationship. You could get hurt, but guess what? This is what God's word says. It love always trusts. And I think tied right there to it is always hopes. I think I believe that hope picks up where trust wears thin. <laughs> right? I'm not going to give that guy the keys to my house, but I'm not going to let go of hope. Because I know the same God that saved me wants to set him free too. So maybe, maybe you've got some relationships where you're, that, that, that trust is wearing thin. Listen, hold on to trust. Be wise. This is where you just got to guard your heart, right? Like we can so easily put up walls and call it wisdom. Like you just, that, that's between you and God. You got to work that out. All I know, and I just, I just want to align my life with this, and I want to be vulnerable and honest, and I want to say, God, I want to lead with trust. But aren't you getting it walked on? Love is not self-seeking. You see, it, it comes back in each one of these. Love is not, see, when, I, when you instantly go, well, I'm going to get hurt. When you instantly go, well, I'm going to get walked on. When you instantly go, man, they're going to take advantage of this kind of love. Yeah, guess what? God's love gets taken advantage of all the time. If that's your biggest hang-up, you're not going to be able to love. I mean, you will, it'll, just, it'll be the world's love. Could you imagine if Jesus was like, I would die on the cross, but I'm not sure if they might take advantage of it. I'd die on the cross, but Judas still might betray me. The law versus grace sounds better than the law versus love at this point, doesn't it? <laughs> See, if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, he says, I want you to love like I love. All right. Always trusts, always hopes. I'm going to grab the next two here. Always perseveres, never fails. See, love always perseveres. It means it gives, or in the world's love, gives up when it gets hard. We've seen this, right? The world's love says, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. The world's love says, I'm no longer getting a good return on my investment, so I'm backing out. Love, God's love always perseveres. God's love always perseveres. The reason that you can't take it anymore is because you made it about you. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not looking for a return. Love can persevere when the expectation of a return on my efforts is gone. If I know that I can love you, even if I don't get a return, that frees me to love you well. But as long as I'm looking for that return, not only for my own benefit, but right, like we do, we talked about this last week, we wanna invest in somebody else, we wanna love somebody else, but the moment that, but once we realize they're not taking my good advice, they're not leveraging the love that I gave them, they're not doing anything with what I poured into them, and they're like, well, I'm done now. Hey, that's fine, I get, I get that we have limited resources, limited time, and limited all that kind of stuff. So at some points, we gotta do different things. But listen, don't think that that's a loving relationship. 
because you were still looking for a return. It just wasn't for you. Love is always a gift. Love is a deposit. Are you willing to deposit into the people around you without expecting a single reciprocal action? Jesus said it in, in, in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Pagans love others when they expect a return. But I'm calling you to love like me. I'm calling you to wash feet, not of your friends, but of your enemies. I'm telling, I'm telling you to lay your life down, not just for people who are going to receive it and do something with it. I'm calling you to lay your life down just as an example of love to a world that's still going to reject you. And if you can't handle that, you cannot live the Christian life. Love always perseveres. The world's love gives up when it gets hard. Love never fails. Sometimes the world's love works out. See, love fails, like we talked about before. Love fails when I'm unwilling to expand my capacity to love you for who you are. In a marriage, in a family system, in a church, among friends, with neighbors, when who you are becomes more than I'm willing, I have the capacity for, it's there when love fails. That's scary, because I know I, I, there's some of you already there going, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have the capacity I've got these, these adult children that I don't have the capacity to love anymore. I've got these neighbors that are on my last nerve. I've, I've, I, I, I've got these, these coworkers. I, I don't have the capacity for them anymore. Okay, now we're where we belong. Why do you think you had the capacity? Why do you think you could do it in the first place? If we're trying to love with the world's love. It's only when we come to that place of realization that God, what you're calling me to, God, what's right in front of me, God, this Christian life of love, this, this selfless love where I know I'm going to get hurt, or I'm going to get stretched beyond my capacity, God, I am so desperate for you to show up in this. how you're ready to love. You probably won't get there till desperation hits. Here's the bottom line. You can't. <laughs> you can't. God can. See, God is, he wants to use us. A humble, broken, desperate us who just wants to see God work. You know, we, we so often say, I want to see God, I want to see you work through me. It's still a return. <laughs> 
What if I just said, what if my prayer was, God, I, I, I don't have the capacity right now. God, I don't see any way forward right now. God, I don't know how I could possibly love right now. God, I just want you, God, I, I, just, I, I just want you, God, I want, I want you to do what you need to do. God, would you show them your love? Use me, use anybody, but it's not about me. God, I just wanna, I wanna be available for you, but God, you love them any way you can. See, the problem with love, with God's love, is thinking that we can do it in our strength. This is, this is bigger than our ability. If the world is going to know that we are his because the way that we love one another, it's going to take a supernatural divine act of God for empowerment to do it. Are we willing to submit ourselves into the selfless life of loving like Jesus? Because friends, this is why you're here today. You, it, for those of you who've given your life to Jesus, this is why, this is why we have hope. This is why you get to be called, you get the honor of being called a son and a daughter of God is because, because Christ did this for you. Because we get to sing the song, you're a good, good father. We get to sing the song and declare it, the promises of God. It's who you say I am, a son and a daughter of you. And he says, listen, sons and daughters, go live the attributes of the household. And so today, our prayer is simply this. God, help me to love like you loved me. This new command he gives. Love one another, not as you love yourself, like he loved you. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for your gracious act of love poured out on the world. And Father God, right now I just pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who, who, who have walked in that love, who received that gift of love. Father God, would you, would you bring us to the end of ourselves? Because the love that we describe that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, that love that never fails, that love is not self-seeking, that, that honors, that is patient, that is kind. Father, this kind of love is beyond me. So God, would you do something in my heart today? Give me eyes to see the people in my life like you see them. This is going to take a supernatural work of you, Father, and, and we just ask for that today. Do a work like only you can. God, help us. Give us that capacity for loving like you loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.